So uh, yesterday was Saturday, and I was riding my bike because sometimes I ride my bike. And uh, I was riding specifically to a place where I usually get coffee, which is right next to a church where I often pray. It's a beautiful sanctuary and beautiful grounds. And so I was riding my bike over there, and um, I was repenting on the way. That's what I was doing. (laughs) On the way, I was just repenting because the previous hour I had spent in anxiety. You probably have never done that before. I spent an hour in anxiety, and I just, I was fretting, just fretting about things, you know, um, as I sometimes do. And so on my ride, just the beauty of the day and the, the welcome of God, I, I realized he was inviting me to the gift of repentance. So I was just repenting. Lord, um, I'm sorry that I wasted an hour in anxiety. And the phrase that came to my mind, and I uttered it to God, was this, I'm sorry that I forgot you're the ever-present God. And I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but when I heard myself say that, I was struck. It's like God inspires you with even in your own confession. And I heard myself say, God, I'm sorry that I forgot you're the ever-present God. And then God started to speak to me through me. And I just kind of jotted it down when I got home, and I thought it might be helpful for you to hear how God spoke to me. I was just praying. I said, Lord, I forgot that you're the ever-present God. And so I began to declare the truth about God. You're the ever-present God. You're not the ever-measuring God. You're not the ever-judging God. You're not the ever-critical God. You're not the ever-disappointed God. You're not the ever-condemning God. You're not even the ever-expecting God. You are the ever-present God. And then the Lord was just revealing, as I was thinking about his character and his attributes, who he is in my life. And so I declared to the Lord, you're the ever-present God. You're the ever-loving God. You're the ever-faithful God. You're the ever-forgiving God. The ever-patient God. The ever-empowering God. The ever-merciful God. The ever-peaceful God the ever-compassionate God, the ever-gracious God, the ever-present God. And I am pretty sure I did not exhaust his attributes in that list. And it was such a grace from the Lord to meet my repentance, my confession of my sin. The Bible says that anything that's not of faith is sin. Anxiety is not of faith. It's sin. It's as bad as any other sin. It's as putrid in God's sight as any other thing. And yet when I come to God, when we come to God with our sin, whatever it is, he's there ever present, ever loving, ever faithful, compassionate, gracious, patient, all empowering, constantly present. I read the verse from Matthew 28 last week. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. And the last promise after that command, and lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. So I, it was important for, for me to confess before you, but also to declare before you that we serve an ever-present God. Jesus promised, I will never leave you or forsake you. 
And someone here this morning needs to hear those attributes of God and needs to be reminded that he's ever-present. God did not redeem us and then send us off on a track and say, see you in heaven. He chose us. He called us. He plucked us out of sin. He (laughs) plopped us into the heavenly kingdom. He empowered us, and he said, I'm with you all the way. Let's pray. Father, I ask for a grace upon us as a vineyard church this morning to walk in the truth of your ever-present grace, your ever-present love, your ever-present compassion and patience. I ask, Lord, for uh, a revelation of your love for us as your sons and your daughters that surpasses this morning anything we've ever encountered. For those here this morning who don't know you, but Lord, you're calling right now, I ask that you'd speak to them by the Holy Spirit from your patient, loving, gracious, compassionate heart and reveal Jesus. Lord, stamp the truth in our hearts and give us willing spirits to live that truth out in the world. In Jesus' name, amen. That's like the pre-sermon sermon, okay? Last week, um, I talked about the Farmstead Project, and that is the vineyard's answer to Jesus' command to make disciples who make disciples, what I just quoted from Matthew 28. And I asked you last week to start thinking about the Vineyard Church as a farm. Begin thinking of it as a farm, because I said uh, last week, a farm is a family. It's a place of truth, of love, of belonging, of safety. And a farm is a hospital. It's an organism of healing and growth. My greatest healing began when I walked into a Vineyard Church in 1990 in Chicago. My greatest revelation of who God was as my healer. I just simply hadn't known it before. And I encountered him. Because a farm is also an army. It's an outpost of purpose, sacrifice, passion, and honor. I told the story, you know, about the revolutionaries. They were farmers. 90% of uh, the workforce in, in 1790, just 15 years after the revolution, were farmers. What that means is that farming and fighting is in our blood, right? It's not a political statement. (laughs) It's a spiritual statement. Farming and fighting is in our blood. Jesus said, the Son of God came, John said, the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. And guess what? Jesus commissioned us to take that. We destroy the works of the devil. Where you take the presence of God, the, the works of the devil get destroyed. Poverty, lostness, weakness, solitude, those things get broken. And a farm is a training school, a place to learn and practice and grow. And I said last week that if we're going to cooperate with God for his plan in central Indiana to see the kingdom go forward, we're going to have to get our hands dirty. We're going we're to have to all jump into the field. We're going to all have to be farmers to some extent. I was just so encouraged because God likes me so much. Um, I uh, 
at an ungodly hour this morning, I was in the convenience station getting a few things. Um, I don't normally pick up the star, but I picked up the Indy Star. And on the inside was this. It says, Urban Farmers. <laughs> yeah, you think just because you live in the city, you can get away from being a farm. Not on my watch. Urban Farmers. And I couldn't, I didn't have my glasses, so I have no idea what the article says. But um, hot dog, that's us. And I just think it's good, you know, that at the fair, it was the year of the farmer. I just think, ah, there's something going. God just loves to send those little kisses from heaven to remind us that we're, we're, we're tilling down the right track. You know, we're, we're, we're doing what he calls, calls us to do, what he wants us to do. I said um, last week that God's offered us increased impact. We're a, one church, we're one farm, but we're a farm with many fields. And I reminded you, in case you didn't know, last week, and I'll do it again, you live and work in those fields. Where you live and work is the place that at this point in time, God has called you. Maybe he'll call you to move tomorrow. Today, you're here. Plant your roots. Work your field. Give, give your gifts. Tend your heart. This is the place God's called you. And there's a whole other sermon. I'll give another point right there. Our call as a church right now is to invest in, to disciple, to equip and empower each and every one of you. Every generation. That's our goal. Every generation equipped, empowered, discipled. Every single person in these next few years in the vineyard in a one-to-one discipleship relationship. They'll look different, all right? We're not, we're not stamping products in a machine. We're forming people into the image of Jesus. But as Jesus did it, that happens life on life. That happens spirit to spirit. It, it, you get formed into the image of Jesus by being with another person who's following Jesus. And that's what we want to do. Our discipleship cohort ends, our first discipleship cohort ends today. I've talked only a little bit about this. The last 20 weeks, 16 of us have been gathering every Sunday from 1.15 to 3 o'clock in our conference room. And the 16 of us have been worshiping together and praying together, and we've been developing together some content, some discipleship content. We look through just to find 20 themes that are relevant and important for every single believer in Jesus to understand, and not just to be able to put in their lives and live out, but to be able to give away, to replicate. And so everyone in that room has not only been being discipled together as we work on that, in the power of the Holy Spirit, but also discipling other people. So another 16 or so are being discipled in the midst of that, and they're somewhere behind the 20 weeks. But we've spent a lot of time, and it's been a lot of fun to see how God has used the people that he he called into that discipleship cohort to, to build some content. It's been thrilling. And in three hours... Or so, when we go back at 1.15, I'm going to challenge those 16, do it again, and again, and again, and again. Because we long to see every single person in the vineyard discipled, one-on-one. It may take more than 20 weeks for some, all right? It took three years for me. (laughs) Some of us are tougher soil. But God has a plan for multiplication. It's called discipleship. It's called discipleship. So you might ask, why discipleship? Okay, whoever went through the fifth grade? Okay, almost all of us, except for the fourth graders, great. 
in the, roughly around the fifth grade, I remember my math teacher getting up, or it was sometime around then, and they pulled this one on us, right? They said, okay, I'm going to give you a choice. Uh, I can either get, throw my graphic up there because I forget my numbers. I can, I can give you $10,000 a day for the next 30 days, or you can have one penny doubled for the next 30 days. Which do you want? And the math teacher gives you, you know, like four seconds to think about it. And in fifth grade, what are you thinking? Give me the dough. I can buy a Game Boy and a BMW and, you know, half a, half a month. And then they help you do the math. They're, te- they're teaching the power of the exponential, right? And then the teacher says, well, you could have $300,000 in 30 days, or if you had your penny doubled, you could have $5,368,709.12. And I'll tell you, every single fifth grader does what? They start going around the playground and say, can I have a penny? <laughs> because I'm planning to invest this. <laughs> There's no one who says, you know, if everyone just gave me a penny, I don't, this would work, right? And it's the same way with discipleship. You tell any pastor that I know, hey, I have a proven program that will add 1,000 people to your church every month for 10 years. And most pastors are going to say, unbelievable. That would be 120,000 people in 10 years. 120,000 people added to the church. After the very first year when just 12,000 or 10,000 have been added, after that very first, what am I saying, month, that pastor would be speaking worldwide about because they'd be the expert on church growth, right? If you could get the secret sauce to get 10,000 people into the church every month for 10 years, 120,000, that'd be awesome. If you just discipled one who disciples one who disciples one, in 10 years you'll only have 1,024 people. You'll only have 1,024 people sold out for Jesus. And if that discipleship continues... In 30 years, you will have 5,368,709.12 disciples. One more year, you can get that last 0.88% on that person, right? In 30 years, if you just go the easy route and add 10,000 to your church every month, you end up with, what, 360,000 people, not even as big as the largest church in Seoul, Korea. Because Jesus gave us a plan. It wasn't the quick addition plan. It was the long, slow discipleship plan. It wasn't do everything you can to get all the people here so you can shout at them in a large group and get them to say yes to Jesus. But I have nothing against large groups who come to Jesus. It's called revival, and we'll take it, right? But what if every person who came to Christ in our church or in your backyard, or in your workplace, or at McDonald's, or at the Speedway through you? What if everyone, you invested one year in them, and you taught them how to be a disciple who turns around and make disciples? And that one produces one, and that one reproduces one, and over and over and over again. And just you, I mean, think about this, just you, five million people meet Jesus in 30 years we got 300 people in our church. I can't do that math. Jesus can. Jesus is real into multiplication. And that's why we're, um, we're yelling and screaming about discipleship at the vineyard. Because Jesus gave a command. It wasn't build the church. It was make disciples. 
He said, if we'll make disciples, he'll build the church. Now, if you want to go out and invite 10,000 people to church this month, please do it. I bless you, right? Because we cultivate the presence of God here. And when people walk in, they meet the presence of God. We long for that. But I remind you almost every week, you bear the presence of God into the world. And what God is forming in you, he just wants to form in another person. And so on and so on. There was a recent study done by Lifeway. 55,000 churches will close their doors in the next seven years. Not particularly positive, right? If the trends go as they are, 55,000 churches will close their doors in the next seven years. If the research plays out, church attendance will drop from 17% to 14%. In other words, in our current church model where we are, that's where we're headed. Only 20% of churches in the U.S. are growing right now. 20% of churches in the U.S. are actually growing. They're adding people. 1% of the churches in the United States are growing because people who didn't know Jesus are meeting Jesus. 1%. So what that means, if Lifeway has any sort of validity in their systems here, is that 99% of the churches that are growing in the United States are growing because we're shifting believers around from church to church. We're giving believers something that they like a little better than another place. It is not a sin to go to another church, right? God plants Where God plants you, be there. What I'm saying is this. It, it won't be by just adding people that will see the gospel go forward. It won't be just like inviting your Christian friends to come and check out the vineyard because our worship's good. Our communion juice is awesome, Right? I'm joking. It'll, it'll be because we have been infected with the gospel and we're contagious. And Don't take any condemnation here. Just take the challenge. Take the invitation. God wants us to spread the contagion of his presence all through the city. He wants to light us on fire for Jesus. He wants every person here to be in a relationship with someone where the Spirit of God can do the work that changes us so that we'll cross the difficult barriers, the difficult barriers to our neighbors, to our workmates, to the people that we work out at the gym with, right? I mean, I'm imploring you, but please understand I'm imploring myself. 25 years ago, when I made a commitment to Jesus, someone told me this is what Jesus' plan was. And somewhere along the way, I forgot because I thought, well, God gave me a gift and I can speak to a lot of people. And, and God's happy with that. We all have different gifts. But Jesus said to every disciple, make disciples. Every disciple. Discipleship is not just effective, it's not just strategic, it's commanded. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. So over the next two uh, months here at the Vineyard, we're going to be talking about the beginnings of discipleship for us, how do we tend our hearts before Jesus to, to, to be pliable in his hands? How do we know what our gifts are? Financial, yes. Spiritual, yes. Our gifts, and how do we share them? And then how do we find the field that God's called us to? 
And how do we begin to work in that field? How do we begin to till that field? Please don't hear, I don't think we're doing anything. So many of you are out there laboring over and over and over again. Praise God for that. I'm sounding the call because God's about to do something in our city. You can feel it. Every pastor I talk to, there's a rumbling. God's going to do something. I don't know what it is. It might be a discipleship revival. It might be a conversion revival. It might start in a fourth grade class. It might start in the church down the road. I don't know where it's going to start, but God's doing something. And we've got to be ready to disciple every person, every single person. Because do you know at the end of the book, you know what happens? Jesus comes back. <laughs> like, let's not forget that. Jesus comes back at the end. And then we're in his army. I mean, then, then we rule with him. That's what the Bible says. In the meantime, we're in this war. We're in the now and the not yet. And he invites us to cooperate him in the, with him in the fields, to plant and till and harvest and all the hard work. And he says, I'll bless it with growth. So that's what the Farmstead Project is about. I want to take a few minutes this morning and talk about the first initiative of the Farmstead Project, which is a little more hands-on, a little more here, a little more in your pocket, actually. So if you have a little card in the seat in front of you, it looks like this. Would you pull that out? It says Seed and Soil Initiative. And then just because I know you guys are ambidextrous, pull out your bulletin and look on the inside, and you'll see some info on the bulletin about Farmstead and Seed and Soil. So you have those two pieces while I'm discussing what God's asking us to do in the next couple of months. So again, the Farmstead Project is our answer to, the, to Jesus' call to make disciples who make disciples. And the first initiative of that is the Seed and Soil Initiative. And the Seed and Soil Initiative is resourcing the farm. It's getting ourselves prepared to go out and do the work and see the harvest. Because God's inviting us to cooperate with him in the preparation of fields. And so in that, I'm going to ask you, the staff and the leaders of the church are going to ask you to invest financially and physically all the gifts and resources you have at your disposal to, to, to believe once again they belong to God and ask God, what of my resources can I give to resource the farm God's calling us to be so that every generation can be discipled, so that people meet Jesus? So let me go through these three specific areas where we're raising money. I, I don't have any doubt God's going to raise here through us, through you and me, $100,000 in the next five months. There's no doubt because I know God and I know you. So I know God's going to do that. Here's what we see it going to um, do. Three specific areas, and we did a lot of work talking to many of you and home groups and individual people about you know, what do we need as a church to resource ourselves to move into discipleship as a culture, to really see this farmstead project um, get moving? And number one, you talked about administration. I think about that as communication and care. And so maybe a little more than 30% of what we raise will go to that. That will include um, helping to finance our administrative position right now in the church. Communication resources, website, graphics, our software right now, we have the potential to do a lot of amazing things, but we're not doing it just yet. And I just long for the day when someone will come up to me and say, you know what I love the most about the vineyard? You communicate so well. <laughs> oh yeah, in the presence of God, and yeah, I love that. But you guys are so clear. 
you communicate so well, so consistently. Wouldn't that be great? Steve, wouldn't that be great? <laughs> Come, Lord Jesus. Because, uh, frankly, it's no longer cute to be poor communicators. It's no, it's no longer cute to say, well, but we love Jesus, even though we don't know what we're doing administratively. No, God's asking us to grow up. So we're going to ask you to invest in our growing up. We're going to ask you to do it with us. We're going to, it's, we're going to take some, some turns, but we're going to go after it. An excellent website that communicates with us. Great graphics, great information, consistency. It probably requires a person who can keep us consistent in our commu- communication, who can crack the whip and make things accessible to people, how they actually live. Okay? Some people are actually out there on Twitter and Facebook. I'm not. But that's no excuse for not communicating the gospel in every way that God's given us, right? So we want to do it. We need a tech upgrade in a lot of ways. Our children's check-in, our community groups, our online registration, and just security-wise. We just need it. We need it to take care of everyone here. And so what this means practically when we invest in administration, when we, invest, when we resource the farm office, what it means in my mind, and Jacqueline gave me this. Thank you, Jacqueline. If everyone loves it, I give you the credit. I said, Jacqueline, what do you think that means, you know, administratively? And Jacqueline would be the first to say she's not the administrative genius, right? Am I right? Okay. She said, you know what it says to me, Randy? If we can really do that well, if we invest in that, it means that people will have more access to the church. And the church will have more access to the world. And I took it one step further and I said, that means the world will have more access to Jesus. I thought, okay, that's worth it. I'll get up and ask for $100,000 if the world has more access to Jesus because the church has more access to the world and because you all have more access to the church. This is not the central hub of all of your lives, right? God's planted you in places. But there's a life-giving element to our community right here. And we can weave that life together. We can cultivate life together. And we just want to use every means possible to do that. So we're going to ask you to invest in that financially, physically, and probably with some of your frustration, right? As we, as we make a step and it's not perfect, give us grace and patience and hold us to the task. Secondly, equipping and empowering all generations. That's children, youth, young adults, and training for every generation. Maybe another 40 or 45% I, I see going to this in this next year. We heard a lot of families say, we want to see our kids discipled. Our, our children are cared for well on a Sunday morning. We have, we have a great family pastor. We have great children's workers. We have people that give a lot of time and effort. We just want to bump it up. We want, we want to go further. That doesn't necessarily mean we want to do 1,000 programs, but we want to invest in people and one-to-one discipleship relationships that have impact on kids for eternity. Because... I just saw them, some of the kids, they were lining up out there to do something beautiful outside where some of you wish you were right now, right? Soon enough. I just thought, those are world changers over there. Those are world changers. Eternity was planted in their hearts. That's what Ecclesiastes 3 says. And when we invest in a child, we're investing in eternity. Eternity blossoming in their hearts. And that's what we get to do. We get to do that in real practical ways. That We get to do a little revamp on this children's hallway. We need some uh, structural changes. We need to care for them in a little better way. We need some stuff for them, honestly. We need some people to help them grow. 
I have a vision for a library of resources. Don't think physical library, but think, think some tangible and some digital library of resources. When you have a question about discipleship, I imagine that you have one stop to answer every question you have about what it means to be a disciple and a discipler. So I see that digitally. I see books. I see all sorts of stuff. Well, it takes something to get there. We have the beginnings of it. But we want to resource disciples who make disciples. It's our calling. Remember the, the, the offer that Jesus gave us. He said, you can, you can produce enough to, to take care of yourselves or you can bear enough to bless the world. And we're going after the world. We're going to do a School of Kingdom ministry and it's going to take a little uh, finance and resource to make that happen. January of 2016, we're going to launch a School of Kingdom ministry. We don't have to build it. It's already been built by a wonderful vineyard church in Illinois. We're going to offer it to anyone who wants to be a part of it here. It's a high commitment. There's some money involved in it. It's an encounter with Jesus every Sunday night, probably for three hours, where you get to be changed in his presence. Just another step of discipleship, another way that we together get to, get to, to say yes to Jesus, to be disciples who make disciples. And so administrative, equipping, empowering all generations, and then finding and working our fields. This means greater intentional focus on our mission to the city where God's placed us and to the world to which God's called us. I'm so thankful for what Chris and the Matthews and all of the volunteers do at Community Nights. It's such a blessing to come here on a Wednesday and see them interacting. We, We just want to give more. We just want to do more. People are waiting to meet Jesus, and some of them need it to see Jesus in a loaf of bread or a gallon of milk or a hand on their shoulder or some time invested. The the impact of a short-term mission trip is incredible. Short-term mission trip changed my life, changed the course of my life. As a result, I say this without pride, just reality, it changed the course of hundreds of people's lives. Because I went and saw what God did when I just stepped out across a boundary of faith. And so we want to be able to resource more people going on short-term trips. And we want to build bigger and more intentional long-term mission relationships. Out of the blue, we got this group of people who are going to an island in Honduras called Roatan. And then they went back, and then they went back, and now they're taking a group. And you might be a part of that group next April 2nd to 8th here the blurb right there, to go to Roatan and to see people meet Jesus and learn how to disciple and be disciples who make disciples. So all that takes some resources. So in those three categories, administration, equipping, working, our fields, here's by the numbers, seed and soil by the numbers. On September the 27th, four weeks from today, we'll have a commitment Sunday. So I'm going to ask you to take this seed and soil card and over the next four weeks to talk to others in your family, to think and to pray and ask the Lord, what would you have me invest? What would you have me invest? One-time financial gift or a gift over five months? What would you have me give over and above my normal tithe and offering? Over and above what I normally give. What would you have me give to see the Farmstead Project happen, to see seed and soil resource the farm so that we can be, see the world changed, even from our church. 
So 9-27, September 27, four weeks is our commitment Sunday. Uh, by March the 6th, that's five months. We hope that all of those commitments will be fulfilled. So we'll call that Fulfillment Sunday, March the 6th. So you'll have uh, September 27th to make a pledge and give a one-time amount. And then the next five months to fulfill that commitment. So that by March the 6th, I have no doubt that there'll be more than $100,000 that God will give us so that we can steward it for the kingdom. Our prayer is that a year from this December 31st on 12-31-16, we will have discipled at least 100 people. I'll be able to say on a Sunday morning, if you've been discipled one-on-one in the last year in the vineyard, stand up and 100 people will stand up. Last year I asked that question. I mean, last week I asked that question. Could you disciple someone? Five hands went up. No shame. It just shows our opportunity for growth, right? And we're praying and believing that over 100 people will have been discipled in that year and four months. And down to the bottom line, what's this all about? I prayed and I asked God, could you give me, how many people will meet Jesus through this? And I don't know what his final answer is, but I know what the Lord told me to pray for was 50 people. So let me just put this in real practical terms. 50 people that are presently sitting in their sin, on their way to hell, condemned to a life without Jesus. And I'm not saying we will buy them into heaven. I'm saying we will invest our money, ourselves, our spiritual resources, our emotion, our prayer lives, our spiritual gifts, and give away the presence of God in such a way that 50 people, people that you know right now who are living apart from Jesus, will walk into the presence of Jesus, will be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, will become sons and daughters of God. That's what I believe. And you know what? You get to hold me to it. This is getting taped. It's going up everywhere, right? Because... If people aren't meeting Jesus in our presence, if they're not encountering the life-giving Savior, then what's the purpose of us gathering in his presence? Number one will still remain in our church the presence of God. That's still number one. Everything we do here is to cultivate God's presence. But Jesus was not content with just being cultivators of the presence. Jesus said you've got to be bearers of the presence. It's not just about encountering God's love and power. It's about giving it away to the world. Well, guess, guess what? The world is right on the other side of that door. The world lives next to you. The world lives in your house. The world works next to you. The world shops in that supermarket and works out next to you. And the world, in spite of what they may say, is desperate for abundant life. They're desperate for Jesus. So financially, we're going to give $100,000. I have no doubt that that will happen because I know God and I know you. And one other thing that I'll tell you about this, this is partial re- confession, repentance, and partial faith. As a vineyard staff and as elders over the last couple of months, we have recognized, and I take ownership for this, we have not discipled you in the realm of generosity. We have not faithfully asked you 
to see all that you have as having come from God. And we've not taught you what it means to be a steward of everything that God gives. I have walked up on this stage for eight years and not faithfully proclaimed a generous God begets a generous people who give everything they have so that God can bless the world. And I confess that. I apologize. It, it took me a long time. It took a lot of people beating on my head and grabbing into my heart, saying, Randy, you have not been faithful to the whole counsel of God. And so I'm going to throw that, those old ways behind. And you're going to hear me talk about money, Eddie. <laughs> you're going to hear me talk about stewardship, not just in a general sense, but in a tangible and physical sense. And we're going to invest our finances, what God's given us, the, hard, the, the finances that we work hard to get, the finances that so many of us, we look at the end of the month and we say, we don't know how it will work. 10%, God, are you kidding? He's not kidding. Do you know why tithing isn't mentioned in the New Testament? Some of you have an answer. Well, that's Old Covenant. That's not the reason. The reason is it was just not radical enough for Jesus. Jesus said, you tithe the little pieces. That's right, you should. That's what Jesus said. But you miss the bigger pieces. So the call from Jesus is not 10%. The call from Jesus is 100%. It all belongs to you. And the real question is, God, what do you want me to live on? What, 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 what here is bread to sow, and what's seed to sow, and what's bread to eat? And so I apologize, I confess, I repent, I renounce the sin of fear that would keep me from discipling you in the realm of generosity so that you miss out on the blessing that God brings when you act in faith. And we're going to see, not just in committed numbers, we're going to hear testimony of God, testimonies of God's faithfulness. I mean, I, I know for a fact we're going to hear testimonies. They're already rolling in. And I haven't even asked yet. Only God can create soil and only God can produce seed. But he's called us to plant the seed, to cultivate the soil, to be together in this plan that God's given us. We have a plan to make disciples who make disciples. It's not a perfect plan. <laughs> Repeat, it is not a perfect plan. But it's the plan we have from God right now. 1987 fall of 1987, Jane and I went off to our first missionary journey working with refugees in Eastern Europe. And on the very first uh, letter that we sent out saying, could you give us a little money so we can tell people about Jesus? On the very top was this verse, Proverbs 16:9: The mind of man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. That proverb is still true. And as a staff and as leaders and elders in the church, we think God has given us a mind and we've, we've planned our ways. And we believe that God's going to direct our steps. What I know for sure is that God is directing us as a vineyard into fruitfulness, into greater effectiveness, into greater blessing into the world, into changed lives.
this plan involves some one-on-one discipleship, a school of ministry, some key people resources, an investment in awesome communication, God's leading into greater local and foreign missions, a technological upgrade, and above all, a commitment to loving God with all of our hearts, all of our souls, all of our minds, and all of our strength. What we will do here as we worship and in our personal times with God doesn't change. We go after God with everything we have. The beauty of it is on the other end of those encounters, people will encounter Jesus. And that's why he came. Let's pray. Why don't we stand? Jacqueline, you want to come forward? Let's not pray. Let me just bless you. As we go into a time of ministry, the Holy Spirit's present and he's, he's working in us and he's speaking to us. And so I just bless you in the name of Jesus with open ears, with open hearts, with tender spirits, and with the faith that allows you to take the step of obedience that God's calling you to right now. No matter what that step is, I bless you with the faith that Jesus had when he walked this earth to look to him. The ministry team wants to